0: Hello listeners, and welcome to Freelance Friday with Vey Casey, a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experiences of freelancers. This week on the show, I've got two interviews for you, just like I've had the last few weeks. The first one is another short COVID-related interview with photographer and video producer Brent Baxter. You originally heard a full-length interview with him back in episode 46. Then after that, we've got a full-length interview with photojournalist Cooper Neal, that was originally recorded back on March 10th of this year. Let's hear from Brent. Thanks for coming today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, dude. Uh, So I'm really interested to hear what your experience has been like the last, I guess, six months or
1: so since
0: COVID lockdown.
1: Yeah. With work. March time frame, somewhere around there. Well, it has been challenging at at best, I guess, would be the right way to put it. I came back from filming in Florida the day we landed back in Dallas. That very next day, shutdown happened, right? And I don't know, I, I, I guess since I just came back from a long filming trip, I didn't feel like I felt the impact initially, but then about after a week, because a lot of my clients are beverage industry, food and beverage, right? So. Within that first week that I got home, my phone started ringing left and right, and jobs that had been scheduled and booked and deposits and all that jazz, all of them canceled. Probably four months worth of work. Like, it was pretty devastating, right? So is
0: this like, did y'all cancel indefinitely, or is it something that we're like, hey, we need to postpone for right now, and y'all ended up picking it up at a later point?
1: One of them was rescheduled for early November, but it's scaled way back, right? Um, the others are pretty much, yeah. They're they just they're done. Then do they like do they get the deposit back or how does I that? I gave work? all deposits back. Okay, yeah, I felt like that was the right thing to do. Yeah, at, that at makes this sense. Point, you know, uh, I didn't want to, but <laughs> but it it was necessary at that point.
0: So yeah. did you just have to fund that out of pocket or are you able to take advantage of no. any of the like government funding
1: stuff? No, no I didn't. Um, unfortunately, so I do run an LLC, but I don't have any employees, right? Okay. So in order to do any of the, um, what were they called, the PPP loans, yep. right? Um, I think eighty. you have to prove 80% of that goes to paying your staff mm. for it to be forgivable. So although the interest rates were nice, I didn't want to go into debt to pay myself, so to speak. Right, right, right. Uh, So that didn't seem like the right route to go. So I just, honestly, I went into old school hustle mode, you know, where before the phone would ring, (laughs) it stopped. So I had to start reaching out to old clients, current clients. I kind of have this rule... And maybe it's a little pretentious, but like if a client comes to me and says, hey, we've shot all this on our iPhones, can you edit something for me? And my response is typically no, because I don't want to edit right. iPhone footage. Right. Uh, but obviously, we all have to be flexible right now. So I've done, they've done their own interviews on site. I mean, the audio is not great. The video footage isn't great, but they're still trying to get a message to their audience during a time where it's difficult to do so. Um, So I've taken on a lot of work where I'm editing their footage, and that's helped. Um, We've worked with some YouTubers and done some content for them. That's kind of been my saving grace, and that was luck of the draw, if I had to be honest. Um, It was a referral from a buddy of mine. And as you know, I'm kind of an automotive enthusiast. So that— Very much so. Yeah, that contact to that world has honestly kept me— pretty busier than I would be without it, right? So that that helped.
0: So you mentioned the YouTuber kind of work. Have you done much work with that kind of industry prior to this? That was my f- first time in March,
1: when okay. we got back in March. So yeah. what were y'all doing for them? Uh, so we've got three gentlemen that own uh, automotive YouTube channels, and they actually met, I think, around Christmas of 2019 and they were just kind of celebrating Christmas together as a family and the guys were sitting around the fire having a drink and um, they said you know we should we should collaborate and do kind of like a Top Gear sort of vibe show and so they got a sponsor they bought some cool cars uh, Lamborghini Gallardo a Ferrari 360 and a Aston Martin and we just hit the road in Florida and it was kind of funny because most YouTubers are you know it's first person camera they're vlogging or they're filming themselves Mm -hmm. and so we got there in Florida and I was talking to one of the talent members I'm like okay you know I've been asking for a script for a while now do we have a shot list script anything and he looked at me and he pointed at his head and he's like it's all right here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, like, oh man, we're in for, cool. We're in for a crazy week. <laughs> and it was. It was a it was I mean, it was my me, uh, my friend Jordan Cole and then one other shooter, which he was actually he ran in the camera truck, because he's got like a full black arm, and he, you know Oh, sweet. super. So, nice I mean, it makes setup. sense to do an auto stuff. You can get yeah. the nice exterior shots oh, yeah. down, going down the road yeah. at high speeds. Yeah, that think, and it's like all mounted to a Raptor, a Ford Raptor. Oh. Like it's super cool, man. But um, yeah, so there were just three of us, and so uh, Fraser, uh who owns the truck, he, he basically drove the truck, and he did a little bit of drone work, and then the rest of the in-car cameras, audio, camera A, B, C, D, all of the above were ran by two people, <laughs> right? And so um, we would work, you know, jeez, 15-hour days, and then we'd still have to go back to our rental house and charge batteries and dump cars yeah. and all that jazz. And so uh, it was a, you know, like... It was a rough week, man. We were glad to get home, um, but the series has done really well. I think the first season is, you know, not quite at twenty million views yet, but it's slightly under that. Um, and then season two is coming out on Monday at noon. So it's it's been cool, and I get to work with cars and cameras, which are two of things yeah, that I enjoy. That's um, pretty awesome. So I can't I can't bitch about it. Right, it's, right, it's right. It's a lot of fun.
0: Uh, have you seen any kind of uh, like I guess growth with business I guess have you seen any sort of kind of like rise back with business coming back over the last couple of months a little bit or has it just like pivoted to a whole different type of work
1: it's kind of pivoted it, it has been very um, stagnant ever since the shutdown right um, again I'm reaching out to current clients to ask them if they have any needs. How can I help? I mean, even if they need me to do a project and pay for it in a couple of months or what, you know, long-term right. clients yep. that I yeah. trust. Because mm-hmm. um, I do feel like if you've been working with a client a long time and there's a solid relationship there, they're struggling, you're struggling. So I kind of look at it as, look, we're in, this, we're in this together. So if there's something I can do to help your business thrive, ultimately it will help my business thrive, right? So... um I mean, flexible is the word that keeps coming to mind. Like I think we, ha- we have to be flexible right now where, you know, I think the last time we talked, I kind of like pointed on I'm not flexible with pricing and, you know, there's just certain things that have to go a certain way for me to, to move forward with the project. But I've had to kind of break those rules a bit.
0: It's interesting because you're not the first person that I've spoken with regarding this stuff that has said basically exactly that. And she kind of mentioned that where before basically you kind of look at the other person and, and just see them through like business mindset mm-hmm. where you go like, oh, I wonder what else they're dealing with with work. Yeah, But now it's like going further as far as, I wonder what's going on with them in their personal life and their family yeah. or whatever that's affecting Absolutely. their communication with work or whatever else is happening. And it feels uh, like we are being connected in a much more human way and being a little bit more empathetic. It's kind of interesting to see.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the, uh, that's got to be, I think that has to be the approach that we yeah. take towards one another at this point. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, patience and and understanding and, and, you know, just don't try to take advantage of other people, vice versa, them, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, we kind of have to help each other at yeah. this point, yeah. right? So... We all have rent to pay. We all have kids to feed or mouths to feed. Um, everybody's stressed out. I mean, I, gosh, man, like, you know, just the kids having to go to school every day right now and the environment they're going in, they come home stressed oh, out. I didn't even think about you that. Know? You got kids too. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, a, different, it's a different animal. So are they home right after all this stuff? I, mean, I would imagine school got canceled, right? He was home for a long time, and he was miserable because he's having to do a lot of his classes online. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know about, I mean, I think most of the kids nowadays, they do better in, in school, right, because there's too many distractions. But we'd go in my son's room, and I'm like, what, are you on? You're in class? You know, he's like, yeah, I'm in class. I'm like, well why do you have Fortnite up on your computer? And he's like, I don't, I don't have Fortnite up on my computer. You know, he's like minimizing the screen, you know, <laughs> he's got like 12 <laughs> screens up on his computer, you know, he's like, like, come on, man, you can't yeah. focus on, you <laughs> no. can't really, yeah. he thinks he's sneaky, but we try uh, yeah. to do more than one yeah. week. Can't. I can't anymore. Uh, <laughs> I used to be able to multitask pretty good, but I'm getting old now. So man, if I had one piece of advice for others in this industry, we're in, um, Definitely, you know, I was, I was like actually on my way here and the, the song "Eye have the tiger came in and I'm like, damn, I need to just play this every single morning when I wake up just as like my pump me up, yeah, let's like, go, <laughs> let's do this. Right. But, um, not a bad idea. I think, and I've seen this with a couple of newer acquaintances of mine where, you know, maybe they're photographers versus more in the video world. And I find a lot of times with guys that are new to the industry, they try to just jump in and be on their own and do everything by themselves. Right. And I've been lucky enough to kind of surround myself around four or five people that sometimes they get an awesome job, but there's not room for them to work another person into the budget. But a lot of times we'll all jump in and go help. Because at the end of the day, if we can make that product better, then there's bigger things to come, Mm -hmm. right? And they'll do the same for me or or whomever, right? So I would say, like, don't lock yourself up in your house. Don't sit there at your computer by yourself. Like, get out there and and work with other people and help other people, learn from other people, teach other people, like, be a part of this community, this freelance community, right? Because I think too many people... Try to tackle this by themselves, and there are people out there that do it successfully. I'm never going to be one of those people. Like we just talked before you even started the show, is like, I have to be around people. I have to be communicating with people. I've got to vibe off them. There's, I don't know, just yeah. you know, be a part of. Freelance doesn't necessarily mean by yourself. It, it just- No, no. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people get stuck in that rut where they feel like. I can do this by myself and, you know, or maybe it's even for selfish reasons. Like they don't want to share credit of the work because somebody else helped them or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, dude, just go do cool work, good, solid work that you enjoy and do it with other people. And I think at the end of the day, you'll go home and you'll feel pretty good about yourself.
0: So I've had a hard time sort of over the years, truly feeling like I could like collaborate well with people, Mm -hmm. partly because- Watching, um, I guess my dad from a young age, mm-hmm. running business and stuff. He's very uh, likes high quality, high mm-hmm. standards, and he's very good at what he does. And kind of growing up, seeing through that lens, uh, is kind of shaped how I see other things and and things now towards like, oh, I got to do everything myself because I'm better, or I can do it better, or sure, or, I get that, or, like, whatever. And so. I've been having to learn how to do that and really kind of let go and just know that like it's not always going to be, you know, my way. Did you, did you, Yeah. like what's your experience been like? Do you raised in a more
1: collaborative environment or? No, I mean, I guess as a kid, like I was, I mean, I had a lot of buddies and whatnot, but, uh, but I, I did a lot of stuff, you know, on my own, right? Like running, detail businesses and and, you know, like when I was a teenager to make money for gas and stuff like that or mowing yards, those types of things. But um, we have all sorts in this little collaborative group. I mean, we have the guy that shows up to everything 30 minutes late and that drives me nuts. like. Just tell him to be there half an hour before everybody else. Yeah. Pretty much now we just, we always tell him to be there an hour and then we show up late just to inconvenience him by 30 minutes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, man. Uh, were you waiting on us? Mm. Whoops. That sucks, doesn't it? But, uh, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think at some point, you know, even when I worked in corporate, I was pretty intense when I worked in corporate. Uh, you could probably interview any of my old managers or leaders and they'll tell you like, I was pretty, pretty tough on them, but I've had to learn in this industry that you can't always approach things this way. And you also have to just know, not everybody's like you, right? That not everybody's, you know, type A where they, you know, are going to be 10 minutes early before they show up to a job or they're going to spend the entire night before making sure all their batteries are charged and their gears prepped. Like there's going to be that guy that shows up and he's like, I brought the lights. Oh, but they're all dead. (laughs) <laughs> you feel like, thanks. I forgot the charger. Sorry, guys. <laughs> thanks. You know? Um, so I just, and, and you know, look, there's plenty of things I learned from working with other people, too, whether it's new editing techniques or different angles or, you know, you name it. So um, I think you have to be open to learning, and then you have to be open to teaching and sharing knowledge, which I find in Dallas is like a really rare thing, right? Like, people are very protective. <laughs> Of their businesses or their creative outlets. They just, they kind of avoid collaboration because I think they're scared that it might impact their business or somebody might steal a client from them. And, um, I just don't, I just don't look at it that way. You know, do you think those
0: fears are, do you think they have any, like any solid foundation or come from anything like of substance or is it just
1: I mean, I I do know know some people here that have had, you know, that they've hired people to come onto jobs with them, and then that person's gone out and tried to take that client from them, which is, uh, that's shitty, and it just is unacceptable, Yeah, Uh, but I think that's not the rule by any stretch, right? I think some people are just, I don't know if they're just prideful or not open to learning from other people, or they just... I, I don't know. It's a seniority thing or, or what. But at the end of the day, for me, um, I'd rather be on a project with the team than doing it by myself mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because I just have a better time and I'm at least trying to have a little fun while I'm working because that's why we do this. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, I would still work at a bank. Right. And then secondly, um, mean, the product, the end product's always better. Right. Because. You know, you've got, you're shooting it by yourself. You're going to get tired or you're, you know, maybe you get bored with whatever you're shooting for the day. If you've got three or four people there, you're all vibing off of each other. Yeah. Right. And you're able to like focus on more details. That too. Yeah. We just did a job for, uh, A friend of mine and his wife own a a shop out in Fort Worth called Kraken Motorsports, and they build these just insane uh, Subaru STIs. Heck yeah. 800 800 horsepower, like just. I need one of those in my life. And uh, the owner, uh, the husband, Sean Rizzo, I met him. So I went on a car rally, like kind of in the middle of this whole COVID thing with a buddy of mine. And I, I actually went, one, just as kind of a vacation, just to. Get away. We were in Colorado and went to Utah, Vegas. Like it was just a super epic road trip. But uh, I also went because typically you just meet great contacts on stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I met this couple and they were just super cool. We had a great time with them. And so they hired us to come out and do kind of like a bio on their business and interview all the mechanics and stuff. We had a small crew. It was four of us. Um, but we did a ton of interviews, right? And so I was able to step away and I actually did all the interview questions and all that prep work. So I was able to just sit down and interview each individual with the guy's camera opt. Right. Right. And so I was able to really hone in on their responses. They could look at me and, it, you know, we had probably 10 people at the shop sitting there watching their interviews. So, of course, that made them feel uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. But it was more just, you know, I could look at them and go, look, it's just me and you. We're just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. You're not worried and about if the camera's rolling. Yeah, or exactly. Or clipping or anything like that. And. And we got a ton of gold out of those interviews because I was able to focus on that one job, right? Because usually I'm cam A, and then I'm interviewing the person at the same time. So they're thinking, you know, they're trying to engage with me during this conversation, but at the same time I'm maybe looking distracted to yep, them because yep. I'm checking levels, I'm making sure exposure is correct, you know, all that jazz. So mm-hmm. I'm multitasking, and while they're looking at me, like, I break eye contact, and you know they're thinking... Okay, well, I guess what I said isn't that interesting, you know? Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot lot to play in being able to focus on one job versus 10, right? Yeah. Cool, man.
0: Well, thanks for coming out, dude. Any last yeah, COVID-related thoughts helps. or anything? Any, any last uh, thoughts? I don't know. I feel like we summed it up pretty well, but if you have anything yeah, else. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think I'll just lay heavily into the whole... Uh, teamwork mentality, right? Just don't be afraid to partner with other people. Um, I think it's important for our industry to support one another during this time. You know, if you have a project you need help on, dude, call me. Like, if I have time, I'll come out and I'll rock it with you, you know? And we'll just, you know, like, let's make cool stuff together and support each other. Yeah, That's man. That's it. Likewise.
0: Cool. Cool, man. Thanks for coming out.
1: Thanks again for your insights,
0: Brent. I always enjoy hearing your stories and getting to have a conversation and catch up with you. Would love for us to load up our forerunners and go take an overland trip to explore this great nation that we live in sometime, because there are definitely some beautiful sights to see out there. Now, before we get to Cooper's interview today, I want to talk about Patreon and the opportunity that you have to be able to be a part of the show and help support the show. Currently, I don't have any sponsors, any advertisers, anything, and so the show is completely funded out of my pocket, and it does take a bit of time, and I'm looking to be able to hire an editor on so that I can help ease the workload on myself that uh, producing the show creates for me. So I want to give a big shout out to Alex Miranda in Rotterdam for becoming the first patron of the Freelance Friday Show. Thanks so much for your support. It really means a lot to me. And uh, I'm really glad to be able to be connected with you in this way. Uh, Also, you should go check out her work because she does some really awesome photography and design work. Uh, You can check her out on Instagram at the official June 10th. And if you have found a lot of value from the show, I would really encourage you and ask you to please give some value back and help support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash for only $3 a month. I do plan on opening up other tiers eventually, but currently I just have the one tier and it's just for those that want to say, hey, I really like the show and what you're doing and here's $3 worth to help you with the show. The goal is to be able to raise enough money to be able to consistently pay an editor to be able to edit the show for me because that's going to free up a lot of time for me to be able to focus on other things and help bring other things to the show that i can't currently because of the workload that editing creates for me once again you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash vacacy i would appreciate it our other listeners would really appreciate it and the future editor whose bills you will be helping pay is also very thankful for it patreon.com slash vacacy thanks so much in advance let's talk to cooper you mentioned a couple years ago that you like didn't have projects for like three months or something like that. You were still like pitching and are trying to drum up work. Yeah. What, uh, can you tell me about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So it was, um, last winter. So 2018, December, 2018 through January, February, 2019. Um, December always slow. Christmas holidays, you know, People have run through their yearly budgets. Um, people are out of town for vacation, all that kind of stuff. So I I, I plan on that being pretty slow. Uh, so the week before Christmas, no work. Wasn't planning on having anything through the new year. Uh, that turned to not having anything through the second or third week in February. Um not because I wasn't trying to find work. I was out there pitching stories to editors, pitching coverage of events, um, like trying to stay on people's radars. It's just nothing was happening. And there's nothing you can do about it. Like I was, I was out there doing the hustle, uh, and nothing, nothing came from it. Which is, it's incredibly disheartening. Like you're out there being active and trying to find work uh, and nothing comes of it.
0: You, uh, I mean, Do you typically get your work by going out and pitching and trying to find that and kind of roping it in or coming up with stories or finding events you want to shoot and then pitching it to different publications?
2: It's, it's a mix of both. Uh, so when I was starting out, it was, I would say, 75% projects that I pitched to people. Uh, and, and my approach to that was nobody's going to know who I am unless I tell them. And these national news outlets that I want to work for and that I currently work for, most of them don't have staff people in Dallas or around Dallas. So I work for the New York Times. We have one staff writer that I know of in texas and he's based in houston but for the last two years he's pretty much been living in different spots along the border uh so i mean he keeps up with texas politics and things going on around the state but if if there's a very interesting very local story it might not come across his radar Mm. so i kind of took it upon myself to find these stories figure out how they have national news appeal and then take them to the outlets that I want to work for and kind of tell them, you know, this, here's this story. I think it's important because of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I think I'm the person to do it because of X, Y, and Z. And and that's how I really kind of got connected with a lot of the, the clients I have now uh, because, And bringing projects to them, I was showing them the kind of stuff that I want to do. And whether or not they said yes or no, it at least put me on their radar. So when something did come up in Dallas or in Oklahoma or Louisiana, uh, they had somebody. They could be like, oh, yeah, Cooper pitched us a project similar to this a couple months ago. Maybe we should give him a call and give give him a shot and see how it goes. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean— it's less of that now because I've I've kind of established myself more. That was I was regularly pitching probably five or six projects a month to the New York Times six years ago.
0: Is that how long you've been doing this for? Yeah,
2: your... I've been I've been freelancing since I was freelancing while I was in grad school, uh, but freelancing full time since two thousand and thirteen. Okay. Uh, so we started about the same
0: time then, I yeah. guess, doing this stuff. I'm interested to hear, before we get too much into where you are right now and the last couple of years, what your backstory is that kind of led to you starting freelance in 2013 and then kind of like following that story, because I feel like it probably started a long time before that.
2: Kind of. And yeah. s- <laughs> at least in, so- in some of them, there's
0: like other things that have like led to get to this point, whether it's you loved cameras when you were a kid or was something that drew you towards editorial stuff? Because we would say editorial photographer, yeah. right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what's so, your backstory? Uh, my story. I, I grew up uh, south of Fort Worth, kind of between Fort Worth and Waco, um, in a small town. Uh, whenever I was in high school I tried out to be the, the yearbook photographer and got shot down. Uh, and, and that's a school of my high school was like 200 kids. So it's not like there was like a whole lot of competition, but the teacher didn't like me, so I didn't get to do it. So that was my first foray into photography, was getting told I wasn't good enough to be a high school yearbook photographer. Um, Went from high school, I moved to Nashville, went to college up there, um, started off wanting to do something in the music industry, then wanted to do business, uh changed my major around a handful of times, ended up getting a degree in history, um, wanted to be a, a history college professor, uh, applied to a bunch of Ph.D. programs after I graduated, got rejected at every one of them. But my junior-ish year of college, uh, one of my roommates was a photography minor And let me start borrowing his camera to go to concerts because I found out if you have a camera and you know people in the band, you can get into stuff for free. Uh, So I started kind of, I I had zero photo experience, but I would go to these concerts and take pictures of the bands, Uh, ended up getting to know other photographers uh, and ended up kind of getting plugged in with. The, the Tennessean which is the Nashville newspaper and some of the wire services started doing some work for Getty uh, shortly after uh, just because people saw me around a lot and I, I guess I'm a nice enough person that they felt you know comfortable and confident and saying like hey I can't be at this thing uh, I'm going to pass your name along to my editor and, and maybe you'll get a phone call and I did, so I started picking up some like very, very unfrequent freelance assignments. That was basically just beer money, uh, and and helped me kind of invest in some gear. Uh, but I really kind of got bit by the photo bug. I I loved the aspect of of storytelling and trying to show visually a narrative that isn't really there. Uh, Cause you're, you're really kind of putting those pieces together on your own. So after I graduated, I, I graduated in December, uh, knew I wanted to do grad school because I no longer was gonna be a history professor. I applied to a bunch of masters in journalism programs Um, the same time I was applying to a bunch of PhD programs for American history, got accepted to all the journalism master's programs and rejected from all of the history PhD programs, which made no sense to me. (laughs) I had zero experience in journalism. I didn't take a single class in journalism, hadn't taken a class in photography, Uh, but I guess they, they looked at my work and said cool he could he could take a picture like we'll bring him in kind of on on the visual side of things and teach him journalism so i ended up doing that went to university of texas in austin because of that sweet sweet in-state tuition um and was yeah in their in their master's program for a year and a half um Took a lot of writing and reporting classes, journalism ethics. Took two photo classes uh, and a couple multimedia classes. While I was there, I did a couple internships with the Fort Worth Star Telegram. And then after I I finished up, I moved up to Dallas. I had an internship with the Dallas Morning News. Uh, Then after my internship, they asked me if I would stay on for a little bit, and I did. And then it just ended up not being a place I, I saw myself being for more than a couple months. Uh, I, I had seen kind of how the newsroom was changing. I had been in, in two of the largest newsrooms in the state over the last two years, and things weren't getting any better. Uh, the morning news laid off probably four or five people from the photo department while I was there and I was only there for eight months and I just kind of knew like, you know, if I stick around here, I'm going to lose my freelance clients that have already built up and then I'm not super confident that I would be staying here long term. Uh, with how how much layoffs they're having, I feel like it's only a matter of time until I would be the expensive person on the totem pole and I would get cut down and I would have to start freelancing again without my clients. And that could be 10 years down the road when I have a family and a mortgage. And so I talked to, it was then my girlfriend, now my wife, and, and we just kind of talked about it. And we were like, you know, if you feel like you're going to have to freelance eventually, you might as well do it now while we're young and can afford to be broke and don't have a whole lot of life expenses uh keep your clients that you already have and just start building off of that and so that's what we did um so i i've been doing that since 2013 and uh here we are
0: did you stick with did, were you did you like stick with the Dallas Morning News for a while, or you said you were there for a couple months before you started wanting to get out? Yeah, so
2: I was I was the intern for like five months, and then they asked me to stay on after my internship because they had just had layoffs, so they were short staffed. So I stuck around for another couple months, and then there were more layoffs, and then they offered me kind of more of a a full-time position, and I said yes, and then there were more layoffs. And after that, I was like, well, to me it seemed like I was brought on so that they could lay off more people, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't super cool with that. Uh, So I put in my notice like a couple days after I signed my contract. (laughs) Wow. And I, it's, it was weird because, like, I, I'm still in Dallas, so I still see them all the time. Like, the morning news photographers are, are some of my best friends because we're always at the same things. So anytime I go to a sporting event, there's always somebody from the Dallas morning news there. So I, I see them more than I did when I worked at the paper because when I was at the paper, it would just be one of us at an assignment. So I wasn't seeing those people on on a very regular basis, so I still see them all the time, and it's great because I love those people. But they've they've gone through several different bosses uh, over the last six or seven years, and so my relationship with them is is pretty non-existent at this mm. point because I don't really know who all's there, other than the the photo people. And of the photo people, if I had stayed. Uh, in 2013, I would now be the third longest tenured photographer at the morning news because anybody who was there has either been laid off or took a buyout or found a job with, uh, a big fortune 500 company doing their, uh, multimedia communications. So I feel very good in my decision to leave. Uh, I, I definitely wouldn't be at the place where I am now. There's a good chance I would be freelancing right now, but I wouldn't be as established as I am right now.
0: Mm. That's a good foresight, are you? On your part, I guess, to be able to see that coming. Or, I mean, I guess if there's other people, like a bunch of people being laid off around, you just kind of like, what's? Hmm, uh.
2: Yeah, it was. It was very much, uh, and even talking to some of the people who left after I did for whatever reason. There were a lot of people with their eyes on the door. Like uh, Advertising with the newspapers was dropping at an incredible rate. Nobody could figure out how to monetize digital stuff. Uh, Social media was booming, so everybody was freaking out that Twitter was going to be the new source of news, which it kind of is Mm -hmm. for the majority of people now. Uh, And and everybody was trying to figure out what their next steps were going to be, it was just easier for me because I wasn't already as invested and reliant on that steady paycheck. There were people who had been working at the morning news for 30 plus years, didn't have a website for their work, uh, didn't have connections with news organizations outside of the one that they currently worked for, didn't really know what to do. And all their, the other, a big thing was all their equipment was funded by the paper. So So they're not
0: like owning any of their own. Yeah. So they
2: didn't have their own gear. So if they left, not only do they have zero clients, uh, zero, I guess, freelance experience, they also don't have equipment they can use to freelance. So if they wanted to go and freelance, they would have to pony up several thousands of dollars to get the equipment and then go and try and find the connections to find people to hire them Uh, but for me since i was freelancing before i got to the morning news i already had my own equipment and i already had a handful of clients that i considered to be fairly regular even if the pay wasn't great it was i i knew i could find one or two things a month and and build from that Uh, and other people just didn't have that opportunity yet so mm-hmm. since i knew i had that I, I figured i should go ahead and take it while it's there and not let it slip away and then have to try and start over again in 10 years
0: that's really smart man cool to hear that i uh it's cool getting to kind of uncover some of this stuff because i mean we've known each other for a few years mm-hmm. but it's kind of been very i guess surface level it's like yeah i kind of know what cooper does and like I mean, we shot some of the same sporting stuff last year a little bit and so I we get to like see you a little bit there, but that was really about it. Uh, have you ever thought about like trying to find a gig to lock down a little bit more consistently, or do you enjoy the freelance life now a little more?
2: I I mean, I love freelancing. It's it's tough. It's it's a pain in the ass, but it's it's my pain in the ass and I, I own it. Um, the The biggest misconception about freelancing is that you get to create your own schedule, which is 100% false. Uh, you can try as hard as you want to have people hire you, but they're hiring you on their schedule, not yours. You can't just like wake up and be like, you know, today I want to work and a, a contract fall in your lap. That's not gonna happen it's like you wake up and you're like today I wanna work and nobody calls and you wake up tomorrow and you're like today I wanna work and nobody calls and then on Friday somebody calls and you are like hey we need you to work but you have dinner plans with your in-laws and your wife and you're like well shit like Nobody told me how to prepare for this. <laughs> like this isn't this isn't that carefree lifestyle that people have been telling me I was I was living. It's it's very different than what people expect. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, you you can't find a, or at least I haven't I haven't been able to find a regular job where I get the flexibility. And, and just sheer range of work that I get from freelance. Like, I'll do everything from national politics to oh. natural events like tornadoes, hurricane coverage, to um, pro sporting events, doing playoff football around the country for the NFL, and the World Series for Major League Baseball, to doing portraits of doctors and lawyers. and. Anything in between. Like, I, I don't know a single company that would allow me to do all of that mm-hmm. and and pay me well to do it. Um, I know it's, it's interesting. I, I was having a conversation with a, a video producer that I've worked with a handful of times. Not together, just we work alongside each other a couple times. And he was like, yeah, people, you know— Talk about asking me, like, why, why I don't get a regular job. He's like, this job I'm on right now is paying me $25,000, and it's like a, a three-week documentary project for a, a big film company. He's like, what what normal job is going to give me $25,000 for three weeks? Yeah. He's like, it's not regular. Like, I'm not going to get this. Uh, that's not my normal, like, billing rate. Is, isn't isn't $25,000 for three weeks, but, you know, if I can get that twice a year, like, that's that's a, a solid amount of money for six weeks of work. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if, if you're working for uh, a regular company, they're going to tell you, like, well, you know, you're getting $4,000 a month, regardless of how much you're working, and regardless of the quality of work you're putting out. So, um, I mean, freelancing is completely betting on yourself. Like, if, if you have the hustle, you have the drive, and, and you have the work to pack it up, you can make a lot more money freelancing than you would in a staff job somewhere else.
0: Yeah. So I would also venture to say that it's probably a lot more work.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um,
0: or at least a lot more different work where... If you're doing something full time somewhere, you may only be doing the creative side of stuff or focusing like just on that portion, or just freelance stuff. It's everything. Oh yeah. Unless you hire somebody else to yeah. do that stuff, but even still, you're having to kind of like manage that stuff. And so there's definitely some like big trade offs. But I have found it to be worth it in my case, and yeah. it sounds like you have in yours. Uh, in in I mean I th- I also like the variety because I don't feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and over all the time, which I kind of did before when I was doing stuff like weddings. Mm Or I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time staying stoked about this when I feel like I'm taking the same shot over and over and over. Do you ever feel like you're doing the same thing over and over when you're doing stories, or if you're like going to shooting sporting events or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it definitely gets kind of repetitive. Uh, For me... A couple of years ago, I was doing so. I had a, a very regular client, um, not the best-paying client, but they they would schedule or like allow me to schedule out work months in advance. Which being freelance is fantastic. Knowing you have a job coming yeah. up is like uh, looking forward to Christmas because you <laughs> you know something is is on the way, and you don't have to stress about mm-hmm. it. Uh, so I was doing college basketball for them, covering TCU, SMU, Baylor, University of Texas, doing some stuff uh, up in Oklahoma, doing a, a handful of games at a and I was probably doing like 40 or 50 college basketball games a season, which is great. I love basketball. I love sports. But all the arenas look pretty much the same you're sitting in pretty much the exact same spot on the court every night. And there's not really flexibility to move. You're working with what's right in front of you. And everything starts to look the same. Like how do you, yeah, it's different players, but they're playing the same sport in the same spots. You're in the same spot. It, It's like a little trap because anything like you lose all of your creativity because you're just trying to like get the pictures you need to get and get on the road because you have a three-hour drive back, Mm -hmm. Um, and it sucks. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. You you really have to be conscious of how monotonous things can be. And, and force yourself to go out there and make something different. And that's, I had to tell myself at every, every game I was going to turn in a picture to my boss that I hadn't turned in before. Whether that was playing with the shutter speed and, and getting some motion blur in a picture, using different lenses, shooting things wider or tighter than I had before. Uh, leaving my spot on the court and going up into the stands and shooting from different angles, getting there early, trying something new during warmups, hanging up remote cameras if the the school would let me. Um, but my goal was to turn in one picture that I hadn't turned in in the games I had shot like the last three or four weeks before. Um, and a lot of that ended up being me just like looking at people's websites, trying to figure out what other people are doing, and then trying to recreate moments like they were getting in the situations that I was in. Um, difficult, but, you know, I made it through. I don't do college sports for them as much anymore just because... Uh, now i have better clients and i imagine you
0: probably have a little bit more variety from that and yeah you enjoy that
2: yeah uh i at one point i had to i guess kind of stop booking myself so far in advance with low paying work and and again kind of betting on myself that the higher paying stuff would come through because I would book myself for, for these low paying jobs months in advance, and then I would have to say no to something that was gonna pay me 10 times as, as much. Uh, and so I was turning down so much work that would have been significantly less work for five, 10 times the amount of pay. Uh, and I did that so many times and I was so frustrated by it that I was like, well, I, sh- I have to stop. Like, I have to stop booking myself so far in advance and know that these higher-paying jobs aren't, aren't just, like, one-time things. Like, it's happening several times that I'm having to say no to it. So uh, if I free up my schedule and give myself the flexibility to say yes to these, I would way rather work one day and make $2,000 than work 10 days and make $2,000. Uh-huh.
0: So, it's a really scary place to kind of be in sometimes oh yeah, with some of that. yeah, it's
2: terrifying. Especially, I mean, I was 25, 26, just got married. Uh, like, what do you do? Like, it, it's it's hard to say no to work because, especially as a freelancer, you don't know when your next work is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you sh- really kind of have to to trust that, you know, the people you've built relationships with, the editors you've built relationships with, are, are solid relationships, and, you know, things will come uh, and just kind of live off of that hope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, what kind of, I mean, is there anything you do with the editors to try to maintain those relationships if you're not getting projects with them or working with them. Cause I mean, if one of the things that I hear come back a lot time and time again is that it's really the uh, that people tend to hire the one that's like top of mind or there in the moment when they need that. So yeah. Is there anything that you do to try to stay top of mind with people and, and keep those main, like maintain those relationships?
2: I mean, I, I have, so the, the people I work with on a regular basis are, are, for the most part, people I've worked with for the last five or six years pretty regularly. Um, 90% of them are in New York, another 10% in LA. I go up to New York and I go to LA. Uh, I I try and go up to New York two or three times a year and meet with people. Send somebody a text message, hey, I'm landing at LaGuardia in in two hours. You want to grab a coffee this afternoon? Maybe they say yes, maybe they don't. But I I'm actively trying to build on those relationships through face-to-face meetings. And not necessarily having it set up like a meeting, but... Like, some of, some of my good editors that I work with regularly, I consider them, like, close friends. Um, we'll text about sports. We'll talk about non-work things. And it's because I I communicate with them on a regular basis. And then I, I make it a point to go up and see them. So mm-hmm. anytime I go up to New York, I'll try and go by the New York Times office and have lunch with an editor, grab coffee with an editor, and then walk around the newsroom and just say hey to people. Um, Do the same thing. I'll try and go up to New York, rent a car, drive up to Bristol, and and go see the people at ESPN. You, I mean, just putting in that little bit of extra effort, allowing them to put a face to the the random emails that they're getting, I feel like I'm a pretty nice person. Like, I, I feel like people usually enjoy my company. So I, I try and make it a point to not just be this anonymous person on the receiving end of a phone call mm-hmm. and, and let them kind of see me and see my personality. Uh, because I think that translates to the way that I work and, if they're confident in me and and like me as a person, uh, I think they will—I mean, this is me just hoping—they they will feel more confident in giving me an assignment because they know I'm not going to go out and fuck it up. Yeah. Like, if, if they see that I'm not an asshole, then they will feel more confident in putting me in sensitive situations or— Giving me an assignment that has a tight deadline because I know I'll go out there i'll I'll work super hard and you know I'm going to get things done on time uh, so
0: Have you ever tried getting work just by emailing or just by phone call or, like, message on LinkedIn or anything like that? And do you have any insight as far as, like, your success doing things that route versus actually meeting people in person?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the majority of the people I meet with in New York started off as that just cold email. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the cold emails unless there's a purpose to it. And that has to be more than a purpose of just, like, hey, I wanna introduce myself. And so for me, that has always been pitching projects. Uh, if And I'm putting myself right now in the role of a photo editor. If I'm getting, if I'm a photo editor and I'm getting 50 emails a day from photographers and they're all just like, hey, my name's Cooper, I'm in Dallas, let me know if you need anything. Or like, hey, my name's Mark, I'm in Austin, let me know if you need anything. And then one comes through and it's like, hey, my name's Cooper, I'm in Dallas. Here's a story I think is super unique and I, I think it's very interesting to you specifically because this is your role at X newspaper. Uh, here's the breakdown of the story. Here's why I think it's important to you and your readers. I think that person sticks out a lot more than just like the cold, hey, I'm here if you need me email. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't send those kind of cold emails unless I have a very specific project I can pitch to them. And 90% of the time they say no to the project. But in my mind, showing that I know what they're looking for or I'm at least making an effort beyond like sending this generic email that they could be sending out to a thousand other people like, if I'm tailoring something specific to an editor, I would hope that it shows that I am willing to do the research and, and do some of the legwork on my own to try and make the cumulative project better. Uh, and, and that's how most of my work relationships have started, me pitching projects and them saying yes or no, Mainly no, but then them coming back to me a few weeks or a few months or maybe a year down the road and being like, hey, I remember you pitched something similar to this a while ago. This story came up. We have a reporter already working on it. Are you free on Friday? And and I feel like that's how the majority of my clients have come about. That's cool, man. It's, an, it's like
0: encouraging to hear that because I've spent a lot of time in the past trying to do that basically not with like editors or stuff with publications, but um, I remember probably like four or five years ago uh, I, I've been big into CrossFit for the last like five or six years. And so um, I did some work for my gym and I guess like I saw the value that it added for them and how helpful it was. And so then I started going, well, you know, I really like this fitness world. CrossFit's really important to me. Um, and I want to kind of be more involved in it and help other other gyms out. And so I started looking around for different uh, different CrossFit gyms in the area that didn't have great websites or great photography. And I would, like, email them. And I would never got a response from any of them. Uh, And so it's kind of encouraging I guess to uh, hear somebody's stories of doing stuff like that and actually like getting somewhere with it Because there's been part of me for the longest time. It's like do I why even do this man? Like it just seems so pointless Um, and one of the things that uh, Austin man friend of ours would talk about was like always trying to add value and um and to me, it sounds like that's kind of what you're looking to do too, whenever you're doing this, is that you're giving them something, even if they don't hire you, there's still something that they can take away from it. Or 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 and it's not just, hey, hire me.
2: Yeah. I absolutely. want this thing, hey, give I mean, me money. I see myself as my own business. Uh, like I'm doing all of the accounting, all the marketing. I'm my own IT person. Uh, if I hire people for a project, I'm in charge of payroll. Like, everything comes back to me. And so a part of that is is doing the marketing and what is, like, marketing and advertising. Like, you are selling your services to other people. And to do that, you have to figure out how you can add value to what it is they're doing. And so, I mean, like what you were talking about with the CrossFit, I do that with small businesses around Dallas not as often as i should but pretty regularly and it it all comes from the like the viewpoint of of working backwards i own a crossfit gym what is it that i need uh i need a better website well how do i get that like and then figuring out how me as a photographer can help build their brand, if that's helping them create a library of imagery they can use for social media, like that's valuable to a lot of people. It's not valuable for some, but it's it's valuable to others. And so whenever I approach them, I'll kind of lay it out in a a way like, I'm, I'm telling them these are all of the ways that I'm going to help you get the results that I think they're looking for. You know, I can do X, Y, and Z for you, and it's going to give you high-quality imagery you can use for your website and social media. Uh, you can use it in blog posts. That's going to help your SEO help more people find you. You can use it on your Yelp page so that you have professional pictures on your Yelp page and not just pictures that people took on their cell phones of a meal that came out wrong. Or, like, I I don't know. It's just our job is to elevate brands and businesses for the, the commercial side of things. And so figuring out where we fit into that. And then a lot of times it's education- On our part to the client, on saying, like, you know, things could be a lot better. And I don't know if you realize that or not, but, you know, together we can do these things and it will take your brand to a different level. And a lot of times that falls on deaf ears. Like, people don't wanna hear that they aren't doing a good job at things, people don't wanna hear that they can do things better, but some people do. And whenever you find those people that do, it it turns into like a lasting partnership Um, because they see the value that you're bringing to their brand. And whenever you get people that recognize the value that you're bringing, they're going to keep you around for a long time.
0: What percentage do you think of uh, businesses that you reach out to in the Dallas area, or just in general, with I guess like proposals like this, what percentage of them do you think ever actually respond to you? And then from that, what percentage do you think end up hiring you?
2: Maybe a response from 10%, five to 10%. Um, and then hired by half of that. But, like, one of, one of my biggest clients, or maybe not biggest, one of my most regular clients I have now was from that. Um, and they were recently bought out by a new company. I've had several calls with the new company. And, you know, I've been doing work for the original company and the new company now and it's just kind of snowballing into more higher-paid work. Um, But it started off as a a company that I reached out to because they had a product that I was interested in. uh, It's an athletic brand. They do clothes and stuff for athletes. I was interested in it. I work with a lot of athletes, Um, but they – I mean – they didn't know what they were doing in terms of social media at all. Uh, and it, it, they knew what they were doing with social media. They didn't have a photographer. So the, the stuff they were putting out on social media, I didn't think showcased their products in a good light. Uh, so I, I helped them kind of revamp their website in terms of photography. Uh, revamp social media, um, add new images they would put into their catalogs to send to prospective gyms and stuff like that. And uh, they saw a good response from it. They, they want their products to be shown in the best light possible. And they want the imagery to connect with the people they're trying to connect to. And so I approached them, told them about my experience in the sports world, how you know I work with athletes on a regular basis and I think I could help connect them with the people they're trying to sell to and they took a chance on it like they hired me once just to see how it would go uh, and I sent them a batch of images and. I think the response was like, you know, we've done this before. We've hired photographers before, and we've gotten, like, three pictures that we like. Uh, We don't have enough places to use the images that you gave us because there's so many that we like, and we don't have that many uses for them Uh, because we've never had, had a reaction like this before. So I guess they got rid of the guy they had been using before, which kind of sucks, but... Uh, they brought me on and I've been doing stuff with them for the last five years. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of what I was saying. You know, you, you send out all these emails, but you're really just kind of looking for like the one or two people that really value what you're doing. And if they value what you're doing, they're going to keep you around for a long time.
0: Yeah. What, uh, I mean, whenever you send them an original email, what's the kind of... Like, how do you break that down? How do you how do you tell them, hey, what you're doing is terrible and this isn't working? Yeah. And because I feel like it's, like I I tend to be a little bit more abrasive. Like for example, I went into this steakhouse last week that that uh, hit me up and was wanting me to potentially do some photography for them. And so I'm going in to meet with the lady that's kind of running this stuff and and kind of trying to get a grasp on the situation and. And um, it's like a high-end steakhouse supposed to be, but then the like papers they were handing out are like the to-go menus was like shitty photos on black and white, like print on just like printer paper. And, and my, my kind of response was I just like put it in her hand and I was like, hey, okay, look, hold this in your hand. Tell me, what do you, whenever you see this, what does this communicate to you? Or what do you think about this restaurant? And she was like well it's cheap I was like is that the, is that what you want your customer to be taking away from this place and that's the thing that they have in their hand when they go home to order from you in the future I don't know if that's the best way to like tell them hey it's not great <laughs> but,
2: no I mean, I I mean think,
0: what's your, what's your thoughts on that
2: yeah I mean the the biggest thing is is some people are, are willing to admit that things could be better and some people aren't and that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Pride is a very real thing. And it's it's hard to kind of find that balance in like telling people that things can be better without hurting the ego, but also making sure that your point gets across clearly that, you know, you could be doing a better job. And so a lot of it is, is pointing out, or in my opinion, what I've done a lot is pointing out what competition's doing. Um, so whenever I, I met with this company for the first time, I had screenshotted the websites of several of their competitors, pulled up their competitors' social media, um, and just like given them kind of a, a comparison of, you know, here's our product, which In terms of product, their product was superior to the other people's. But here's how the products, here's how the products are displayed side by side, which one looks like it would be the better product. And it's usually the one with the better photography, the nicer, cleaner, more modern looking layout on the web. Uh, Those things make a big difference in how quality of a product is perceived and so just kind of showing them like you know looking at these side by side i would pick your competitor just because i feel like the product i'm pre- presented with seems more polished and that's it's close so that's without me touching it like knowing the qual like the physical quality of t-shirt or shorts or whatever just going off of a picture of it i think theirs is better than yours and they, they did not like that because they naturally felt like their product was better. Um, thinking of it as, as like the physical, tangible goods, their product was better than their competition. But coming through in their, their imagery, it did not look as good. And so... Like I was like, you know, I think I think this needs to be a priority for you guys. If you're trying to sell these items in bulk, you need to make sure that they the quality of your goods comes across in the images. Like you don't want it to look like you have cheap stuff because you cheaped out and you're using an iPhone to take your product pictures. People pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Like it just looks like it's some some knockoff year uh, that somebody bought in bulk, got shipped to their garage, and they're trying to sell it out of the garage. Nobody knows that you've spent tens of thousands of dollars on R&D for whatever product if you aren't going to, you know, even pay to have decent looking pictures of it. Like, it seems like it would be common sense, but for people that are running businesses that aren't photo and video heavy like that's not something they really think about yeah so it's there's a weird line because you have to figure out like how much you can say without bruising the ego but also make it very clear that there is an issue and you have the keys to solve it and I think that's a, a big part of it, is telling them, like, you know, there's a problem, but I'm here to fix it, and this is what I'm going to do. And they'll either respect that and kind of hear what you're saying and hear your concerns and how you plan to address it and, and trust kind of your expertise, or they won't. And there's nothing you can do about that, mm-hmm. but you can give them the option— and and hope they they make the right choice
0: i uh i feel like i've, I've had a hard time with some of this because i want to get hired right because <laughs> i freelance and i'm perpetually unemployed and it's like every time i would send an email or try to do something like that it's like oh my gosh please hire me oh my gosh please hire me and when i really take a step back and think about it i go you know it would probably be better to be a little more a little bit more abrasive and polarizing in like conversations like that with people because then it's very much either like either they're going to want in or they're not going to want in versus like being in the middle and kind of like i'm gonna kind of like try to tell them but i don't want to like hurt their feelings too much i want them to like me and uh I don't know, it's cool to hear you talk about some of this stuff because it, it's uh, it's encouraging to me a little bit. And and I'm, like, secretly kind of over here thinking to myself, like, okay, how can I take this stuff that he's talking about and go apply <laughs> this to myself? Because that's, like, half of what this podcast is, is how can I learn from other people oh, and yeah, apply this 100%. to my own stuff? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's the, the thing is, is, like, if you think think about any any other business outside of what we're doing, Um, like you're a lawyer, just as an example, people come to you because you can solve their problems or potentially solve their problems. Uh, And so when somebody comes to you or you approach somebody to tell them, you know, this is why you should hire me. They are very clear in in what their goals are. They are very clear in what the problems are. Like, you know, you fucked up, you got a DUI. I am here to try and help you with that. Like I feel like I feel like that's how we need to be too. Like when you show up and you're buying a car, the car dealers aren't like, well, you know, there's this car and this car. You know, there's also that Toyota at the Toyota dealership down the street. Like, it's pretty cool too. Like, but you know, you're looking for this there. You have all these options. They're like, no, this is the car you need. This is why you need it. Like, these are all the problems you have with your current car. This car is going to solve all of those. Like, that's I feel like that's just kind of how sales works. And that's a big issue for people in our industry is we don't want to feel like we're selling things. But in reality, we are. We're selling ourselves and our skills. And so we we have to embrace that and not kind of shy away from it. Um, because I, I think, the days of getting the cold call emails or phone calls from clients like hey you know i saw your work online that doesn't happen very much anymore yeah it's calls from existing clients calls from people you had worked with previously that have moved to a different company and remember you and and it's a lot of uh people that you meet and kind of explain what it is you do and finding a way that you can help them do what they're doing and and hope that they kind of grasp onto that but yeah i mean half of it is is more than half of it selling yourself mm-hmm. which sucks but <laughs>
0: well i'm i'm gonna take a little uh I want to throw a kind of my like try to help have you help solve my problem a little bit okay, with, with this this situation. So talking about this steakhouse, right? Part of the predicament that I'm in with it is they're working with some other company to develop like redevelop their website, and. When I look at the website of the company that they're working with to develop their website, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this website is horrible. And this is who they're hiring to do their stuff. And 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 the this web company's like kind of their backbone or what their their proposition is is basically like science and technology to funnel sales and different like sales funnels basically. Which I go, yes like sales funnels are great and I think they can be really effective if they're done well. But if it looks like shit, like it still looks like shit. And, and so part of me wants to tell them, Hey, why are you working with this other company over here? Because what are you expecting to get out of it? Like, look at their stuff. Do you want a good product? And so I almost want to like try to push that other vendor that they're in the middle of working without, out and be able to try to like take over the whole project. But then there's also the part of me that's like, oh yeah, but that's somebody else's job and that's somebody else's livelihood. And I wouldn't want somebody shitting on my work and pushing me out of a client that I'm in the middle of a project with. And so it's like, I haven't I'm like, how do I handle this?
2: Yeah. What does Cooper think? That's tough. (laughs) Cause I mean, realistically, anytime either of us get any job, it was somebody's job before ours. Like I can't think of, of any, any situations I've come into where there hasn't already been somebody doing photography at some point. Um, problem is, is if you aren't doing a good job, you aren't doing a good job. And that should be motivation for us to keep pushing our work to new levels so that we don't become the old people, or not necessarily old people, the previous photographers or videographers who other people are coming in and saying, you know, these people aren't doing a good job. We can do better and we can help in ways that they aren't. but, like, I mean, it's tough. You don't, you don't want to take work from other people. But if, if you feel like you're going to do a better job for the client and it's a client you want to keep, then I, I think it's issues that you bring up with them. It, it, the, only, the only time I wouldn't do that is if I knew the person... That was already doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, i I won't take a job from a friend. like I have friends who work for for different sports teams. I'm not actively pursuing working for those sports teams because I, I don't want to mess with other people's work, especially if it's people that I care about. But at the same time, like, if some if, if I see a company that's putting out stuff that I think could be a lot better, I don't know where their stuff is coming from. They could just be giving the intern a camera and telling him, like, hey, we need pictures for the website. And I'm sure the intern doesn't want to have the camera and doesn't want to be the person in charge of taking pictures for the website. So that case like I'm probably like a very welcomed email uh just cuz I don't like it's not something they've had before yeah. but I I think and that's I did something similar whenever I approached this clothing company I told them their their website was awful and they needed to do a complete redesign um they ended up telling me that Their website was custom-built for them to handle their back-end sales stuff, so they can't change it. But they really liked the fact that I mentioned it to them. And I told them, I was like, you know, you could get a Squarespace site for, what, like $15 a month. Yeah, something's Not bad. Uh, We can do custom, like, do photo shoots specifically for the layout of the website, and and it will look like a very expensive, very well put together website. Not something that was put together in two thousand and seven. And they loved the idea, but they couldn't find a way to integrate their back end sales system with another like website building system, like Squarespace. Uh, So that kind of fizzled out. But, I mean, they were open to that idea. And I think if you presented it to the steakhouse as a, look, here's, here's how much money I'm assuming you're paying to this company to redesign your website. They're also probably going to be doing, like, the tech side of things. So you'll have them on some sort of retainer or monthly payment thing forever. Uh, you could be paying Squarespace 15 bucks a month and, and your website will look better. It will save you guys a ton of money. You'll have more access to customize things on your end on your own schedule and not have to go through a third party to get small minor updates changed. Uh, And I can help you with the design and layout. Uh, We can work on it together. I can come up with the photo and video aspects of it. We can really kind of tailor the website to what you guys want. And you know, here are some examples of other restaurants or other steakhouses that I think we could look to for inspiration. Like I think these people are doing a good job I think we could come up with something along these lines <coughs> and and have it produced better than these other people and I think the end end result of that is going to be a product that you're much happier with than the examples we've seen from the people that are building your website now mm-hmm. overall, it's going to save you money, it's going to save you time, and it's going to look better and you know. They're either going to say yeah they're going to say no, yeah. but you're at least putting it on their their mind and letting them make the decision. Um, there's a good chance they're like, well, you know, we've already paid this company to build the website. We're going to let them finish. They finish the website, and in eight months or two years later, they're like, you know, we really aren't happy with this website. It looks dated. Uh, can you help us put together... Something different, something more modern. You can be like, "Yeah, absolutely,"
0: but I, I guess it is a bit more of the uh, the long term mindset, which would be more helpful to take. Yeah, this is like your point. You mean you even said before that there was some people that you'd reached out to that where you would reach out and say, "Hey, here's this project that I have this idea for," and they would, you know, no, say no or not get back. But then down the road, like a year later, like, "Hey, I remember that one thing you proposed or whatever," and then they would come back and end up hiring you for stuff.
2: Well, and uh, another thing is, like, they might not know that you do web development. Mm, That's good, yeah. Like, if they're contacting you to do photo and video, they don't know. Oh, yeah, Casey, he does web design. Like, we hired him for photo and video. Like, we never thought he would do web design. It wasn't what we were originally interested in. But, you know, if you tell them, like, that's something I do and that's another thing I can help you with, that's something that probably wasn't on their radar. Um, maybe they went with this company because they were the only people they knew that did web development. And so they just kind of got stuck with it because they didn't have anybody else.
0: Mm-hmm. Good insight, man. Thank you for that. It's helpful to be able to like process through this stuff sometimes. Uh, whenever you have potential projects and you're like proposing pricing, how do you figure out what the number needs to be for that? Ugh. <laughs> this, is, this is always just typically the point in the interviews when things kind of like turn a little bit and it's like we're having this great conversation about stuff and then it's like,
2: ooh. Yeah. Pricing is, is tricky. <laughs> um, for me, there's no like set formula, but it's, it's always a combination of time. How, how long am I going to be on set? How long is post going to take uh, equipment? Am I Do I have everything I need to do the project or do I have to rent stuff? Uh, and then usage. So I, I usually use usage over like the size of the company because I feel like the size of the company also dictates usage. But I always kind of explain it uh like the same way people do music licensing if you're if you're licensing uh a song that's gonna be like the thirty second intro for like a local used car ad that's gonna play one time at two thirty in the morning on a saturday like that's a that song deserves a much different price, a licensing price, than having the song that's gonna be the new, like, it song to a Disney movie. Like, if you're writing the the catch song to a, a Disney movie, you that song should be licensed for a lot more than something that's gonna be used in a local ad. So, kind of breaking it down to clients, like, how long is it going to take, what all are you looking for, but then what is it going to be used for? Because if I'm doing a photo shoot for Reebok and they want it to be for billboards and in-store displays, uh, that is worth a lot more to them than something that they're just going to give to an athlete to use for one social media post. Mm. So really kind of figuring out what the client needs to use the images for and then using that as like a big part of what I'm going to charge. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, then as far as what the actual like numbers are, do you have, I mean, is it something you just kind of like make up? Like, I think that this is worth this much because of the usage or is it like, a percentage of a day rate, or is it like you look at other licensing services and see what are they charging for images, and then you compare it?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a little bit of everything. Um, I, I I have a a very different skill set, and most of this is only applies to commercial stuff, editorial stuff. Newspapers have assigned day rates. And there's very little flexibility with those unless it's um, like a a cover shoot for Sports Illustrated or something like that. I was gonna say ESPN, but they got rid of their magazine uh, because that is an assignment where you're most likely going to need extra gear. You might need an assistant or two. You might have to hire hair and makeup if it's a, a big portrait shoot for a cover or a story. So there's a little bit more flexibility there. But, like, for example, the New York Times, they have a day rate, and that's their day rate. Uh, If it goes longer than eight hours, you get to charge a day and a half. But, I mean, there's – like, if they call me, I I can't be sitting there and be like, well, you know, I think I'd do this. But, you know, it's going to be three times what you're offering because I'll be like, yeah, we can't do that. Like, newspapers, trump card right there. Uh, newspapers, we don't have budgets for anything. Yeah. Uh, but for commercial stuff, a lot of times people don't really realize what licensing is. They think that they're hiring you for the day and it shouldn't matter what you're taking pictures of or what the pictures are being used for. They're only hiring you for your time. And so there's always a bit of uh, a learning curve and and a couple conversations to be had kind of explaining, you know, uh, doing a full copyright buyout is expensive. Like a lot of times you don't need to buy a car when you're just looking to rent something for a couple of days. Like you can get the usage that you're looking for without having to pay for the whole thing and uh, Getty has an image licensing calculator that's pretty much the industry standard at this point. Uh, But the big difference for that is that's for images that are already created. So when you're thinking about licensing stuff, if you're trying to license a picture of Michael Jordan uh, game seven of the NBA finals, You can't go out there and recreate that. It's already done. Like Michael Jordan isn't getting any younger. He isn't going to put his Bulls jersey back on and go play against the Jazz. So the licensing fee for that image is going to be higher than what I would charge because they can charge that because nobody can go and do it again. Mm. They... Because it's something that's already happened and is never going to happen again, there's, like, the one place you can get that picture. And they know that if it's a picture that a lot of people need, they can charge a higher higher value for that because it will never be done again. And so for me, looking at licensing stuff, if it's a very basic shoot, you know, there's a lot of people in Dallas that could do the same thing and so i can't demand this like super exclusive price because there are a lot of ways that these images could get created there's some where i have a skill set that is very specific to me and if i know i'm the only person that can do this then i can charge a little bit higher but it's 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 a a balancing act like you have to, one, educate them enough to understand, like, yes, $300 for one day's work is good money, but I'm not actually just working for one day. It's going to be two days of prep work, three days of post. Uh, you know, I, I have to invest in tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment enabled to produce this shoot. So... The $300 isn't really covering, like, my cost of doing business. Uh, And then you're you're looking to use these images for X, Y, and Z purposes. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to do certain things. Like, if, if you're looking for somebody to cover a board meeting for an internal purpose, you know, I shouldn't be charging you as much as I would be charging you if I'm shooting a a national magazine ad for Toyota. Like, that ad has a lot more value to you, and so you should be willing to pay for that value.
0: Yeah. Uh, you mentioned knowing the cost of doing business and t- taking that into consideration. Um With you personally and the way you handle your business, how do you calculate that or figure out what that is? And then how does that directly play into what you determine rates to be?
2: Photography is expensive. It is a a fucking expensive profession to be in. You not only have to have camera equipment, which is already expensive enough, but you should have insurance general liability and equipment insurance. Uh, You have to have and maintain a website, um, lighting equipment, like all of that stuff. And whenever you invest a lot of money in camera equipment, that's not money that you're getting back. Technology evolves very quickly. and the camera that you bought for $5,000 in two years is gonna be worth like 1,500 bucks. So you can't invest a lot of money and then only take low paying jobs because you're never going to pay off the equipment that you purchased. Like for, for sports in particular, it's tough because you have to have very large expensive lenses. Like a 400-millimeter lens, new, is $12,000. And day rates for local newspapers and, and wire uh, companies like USA Today or Getty or AP, around 200 bucks a game. No expenses. And so for a game... You're usually driving, we'll say 30 minutes, Uh, so that's an hour in the car. You're showing up to a game three or four hours early, so we'll say three hours early. That's putting you at three and a half hours before the game starts. You're working a three hour game, that's six and a half hours. You stick around an hour or two after the game, sending in photos. So you're at seven and a half or eight and a half hours. Then driving home back after that. So that puts you at nine hours. And then you do archiving and second edits the next day. So you're probably working, I would say, for uh, like a college football game, if it's only 30 minutes away, I'm probably putting a solid 12 to 15 hours of work into it. And doing that for $200, that's, what, like, $16, $17 an hour? And the cost, equipment cost for me to do that game is I have to have, what, probably $15,000 worth of equipment?
0: Yeah, at least.
2: Like... It's just hard hard to justify doing that for 16 bucks an hour. Like what other what other job out there do you have to have invested $20,000 into equipment to be able to do a job where you're making 15-16 bucks an hour? And then how much do you have to work just to pay off your equipment before you're actually making a profit?
0: Uh, and then you got to turn around and buy new stuff. Yeah, and then stuff first wear out. Yeah.
2: So looking at it from from like an actual business perspective, like being a sports photographer is a horrible business move because it's going to take you years to pay off your equipment. By that point, your equipment's super depreciated, probably getting close to time to buy new gear. And you still haven't actually brought home any money that you're, like, profit to use for, like, actual living expenses. Uh, So figuring out, like, yeah, money is money and it's great. But figuring out, you know, should I really be investing all of this money into this equipment that's going to take me two years to pay off? Or should I go with lighting equipment that's a tenth of the cost, and I can charge more than 200 bucks to do a portrait that's not going to take me 16 hours, and uh, it might not be the most glamorous work. Like, it's cool to be on the field for big football games, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're a business, and you're trying to make money, and you're trying to provide for your family, so... What, what makes more sense and it's uh it's not fun like it it sucks going through your books and looking like you know I spent this much money on equipment for that really only applies to this specific work and that specific work was such a small portion of my income for the last year like, why did I invest all of that capital into this thing that has such a small return? Yeah, but that's that's business. Like, you have to figure out what your revenue streams are and how to maximize the ones that are doing well, and uh, knowing when to cut ties with with the other ones. So,
0: you uh, you've mentioned Getty a few times, and I know I've seen you uploading stuff to Getty. For those who aren't super familiar, uh, Getty is a service you can license images, um, similar to what, like, Shutterstock is another one. Uh, workbook Stock I think, is another one. I don't know if they're still around.
2: The Associated Press. The Associated Press. Yeah.
0: Um, can you explain a little bit more in detail what those are and then kind of um, how it plays in with your business?
2: Yeah. So for me, Getty was one of my first clients. Um And there are kind of two aspects to the Getty business model. One is stock photography, where photographers can apply. I think it's still application. You apply and and get accepted, and you can submit images to be added to their library that's searchable, and people can purchase your images through them. And then you kind of split the sale price. Um, The other side of it is their editorial side, which is sports coverage, news coverage, like politics, natural disasters, uh, and then like music and event coverage. And those are more along the lines of like documentary journalism type stuff. So they're paying a day rate to go out and cover an event. You cover the event, send in pictures. They will sell those images, and you just get your day rate. So they are servicing newspapers and magazines with editorial coverage from different events. Okay. Um, Along those lines, they have partnerships with different newspapers that will submit images to be added to the Getty archive, and the newspapers will make royalties off of it. Different leagues have done partnerships with Getty, so the NBA, NHL, and some major league baseball teams all have partnerships with Getty because they're creating very unique content that people want to use. So they're using Getty kind of as the middleman to license their unique content. To the people that want to use it.
0: So then, like, say that the Rangers have a photographer on staff, then they would take the photographer's images and sell them as another revenue stream? Yes. Basically? Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, so I know the Rangers, I don't think I've done it yet. The Boston Red Sox do it. Um, I do it whenever I work for the NBA or the WNBA. I send in all of my pictures to our editors in Connecticut. They caption those images and send them to Getty, and then the NBA or WNBA is generating income off of my images, but I am being paid my day rate for coverage. Okay. So that's something that really kind of came about in the last five or ten years, and it's one of the the main reasons why these leagues – are able to send photographers to so many events is because they aren't, or we aren't just creating images to use on Teams websites and the league's website anymore. We're actually viewed as a source of income for the league. Uh, so the leagues now see photographers working for them in a, a new light because we're not an expense, we're a source of income, which is pretty cool. Uh, so they're, they're much more willing to send photographers to more games and make sure that things are covered on a bigger scale because it's not seen as like a line item loss anymore. Like we're building, building up the brand in terms of providing quality images, but we're also building up the brand by providing another another source of income.
0: That's um, interesting, man. It's cool that I, I never even thought about that being a way that they would run stuff. Is that something that's like the last few years or has it been happening for a while? Or?
2: Last few years, um, I mean, it's one of those things where I, I don't know who started it. I don't know which league. I know the NBA's been doing it for a while, but it's one of those things where I'm sure it, it clicked for somebody and seemed like a no-brainer We're getting the best pictures of NBA games in the world. Like, NBA is hugely popular, and we have the best images of it, and we have the best photographers doing it. We also have better access than all the other photographers because we are the photographers with the league and the photographers with the teams. Like, why don't we monetize it? People are paying... Getty and the Associated Press a lot of money to license their pictures, and our pictures are better than theirs because we get to use better lighting in the arenas. We get to have more remote cameras. We get better access. Like I'm sure people would pay money for our pictures too. So I'm sure somebody brought that up at a meeting, and Arrow is like, "Well, yeah. That's, why wouldn't we do that? Yeah. Why haven't we been doing that?" And uh, now it's it's a very common thing. Like I can't think of. Any, any like major leagues that aren't doing that, um, from a PR perspective, it's also another way for them to control the look of their brand. Yeah. Like, you know, the league is choosing which pictures to put up on, on there to be licensed if there's a picture that isn't super flattering for them, I doubt they put it up there. It's it's like quality control of images. And then uh, you're not
0: like having to go back and try to be like, hey, can y'all pull that image? Or right. we don't like yeah. that. Do you uh, have contracts in place with clients? I know, you, I know you have a, a range that you work with, it sounds like, because some of the stuff that you're talking about with doing stuff for like the NBA or MLB or any of that stuff where you're getting paid your day rate and then they're able to license stuff would be considered work for hire. At least that's the terminology that I've heard. Where basically you're not owning the copyrights to those images anymore. Yeah. They're technically somebody else's and you're hired to work for them and then they get to own the images. Whereas I would imagine some of the projects that you take for like business to business stuff like that or more commercial stuff are probably your images that you probably retain ownership of and then give a license to those companies, right?
2: Correct. Yeah.
0: Do you have contracts for either side of those?
2: Uh, for for most of the the things I'm doing for leagues, they have contracts that I'll look over. At my brother's a lawyer, so I'll always send him a copy of it. And he'll go through and just make sure that I'm not putting myself at risk. Uh, and and. Like make sure I'm not just completely getting screwed over um, but yeah i mean for for the most part, things are given to me, and I kind of look over them for some of the smaller business stuff. it's not like super in depth contracts, it's more of I'm writing this out in an email, you tell me if it's cool or not and and that's usually just. Licensing fees, like the specific uses that it's for um, in price. Now, recently, I'm I'm going to start implementing uh, cancellation fees. I, I lost out on a couple South by Southwest gigs once. South by Southwest got canceled, um, and that was income that I was already kind of counting on. Especially, I have a lot of friends in Austin who, I mean, South by Southwest is like three or four months of their work a year, uh, and so when that got shut down, that kind of caused a, a big stir. So I'm going to start working in some sort of a cancellation fee, um, just because I'm. I feel like I'm at a point where if if I'm blocking off time for you. Uh, several weeks in advance I shouldn't be penalized if you cancel like the week of or two weeks before because there's a good chance I've turned down other work in that same period because I've been counting on yours Uh, and that's something I haven't done before because it hasn't really been an issue but after this last week I think it's definitely something I'm going to try and And figure out how I want to do it and start implementing that going forward.
0: Are there any other things in their contracts or your agreements that you've come across over the years that you're like, oh, I need to put this in place? That's like the cancellation fees is one that I've heard come up quite a bit.
2: Cancellation Um, fees, um, licensing embargoes is a big one for editorial stuff. So. I'm pretty sure like 99% of my editorial clients, I can relicense it. It just depends on when. So, if I'm hired by the New York Times to do an assignment, obviously they should get to use those pictures first. Uh, so, I think with the Times, we have like a seven day embargo on published images from the first date of publication. So if I take an iconic picture of a a candidate at a presidential rally and it runs the next day, I can license that image a week later if, say, somebody wants to use that picture for a different magazine. Um, Or if in... Thirty years, somebody calls me as like, "Hey, we're doing a book on this person. We love this image you did for the New York Times back in 2020. Uh, can we license that?" I could be like, "Yeah, sure." Um, and so the the embargo time is something that i I try and keep an eye on because some people make a big deal about you being able to relicense stuff after you shoot it but they put in these incredibly long embargo times so that really the images have lost all news value by the time the embargo is up so i try and shrink those down just so that i have the option to license things if i if if that presents itself to me it's really hard to do nowadays but um that's something that I always try and, and keep in mind. And same thing with with uh, commercial clients, too. Um, and I always explain to the commercial clients, like, you know, I'm not going to go and try and, uh, like, make you guys look bad. You're my client. Like, I'm looking out for you. But if I'm doing a shoot for this athlete in your clothes and – one of the magazines I work for calls me and is like, hey, we're doing a story on this guy. We love this portrait you shot of him in the gym. Can we use it? I I need to know whether or not I can use that image in that context or not. Uh, and so making sure that I have that kind of clear in, in my agreement going from the beginning, that if that happens, one, I always tell them it's going to be beneficial for you because it's getting your brand or whatever it is you hired me to take pictures of into uh, a place with more eyeballs, which is good for you. And, you know, it helps me generate more income as well, which allows me to give you guys a lower rate.
0: Um, so then do you, speaking of giving them a lower rate, do you then charge a higher rate if they don't want you to do that? Yes. Okay. And I mean, again, assuming you talk to them about that or tell them,
2: yeah, I mean, it's, I, the car analogy is probably my favorite one. I like you, that.
0: I've never heard it before, but yeah. it's really good.
2: If, if you're taking a trip to California for a week, there's no point in buying a new car. Like, you can sell it whenever you leave, but you're going to lose a ton of money. Uh, you don't need to rent a pickup truck if you're going to be driving 4,000 miles. Like, it doesn't make sense. So... If, if you want to pay to have the rights to use the images any way you want to for however long you want to without giving me the ability to do anything on my end, you're essentially buying a new car. Like, you, you're wanting to own the entire thing. But, you know, if you're only going to use it for X, Y, and Z and not everything else, like, it's like you're, you're going with uh, renting the economy car, and that shouldn't cost the same amount. So if it's always a give and take because there's some people who are like, well, why don't you just sell us the whole thing because you'll make more money? I'm like, well, I'm not – yes, I'm trying to make money, but I'm also trying to build the best working relationship with you guys as I can, and I'm not trying to take advantage of you. If you know this is the very specific reason you're looking to use these images, then Mm -hmm. let's just do that. But if you think you know, there's a chance you might be using it for all this other stuff, we can talk about that later. Or you can just pay a whole lot more money now and not have to worry about it. But I don't want to charge you a whole lot more money now if it's not something you need. So... One of my big clients now, they're like, yeah, we, we'd we rather just own everything. I was like, okay, well, just know you're going to be paying a lot more to own everything. They're like, yeah, sure. Okay. Like, cool. All right, thanks. I gave you the option. Like <laughs> I, I educated you as best I can so that you don't think I'm out here trying to take advantage of you and you understand why uh, – this shoot that is only going to take two hours is going to cost you so much money when if it was just a two-hour shoot and you were just going to use five pictures on social media, like, I would be charging you substantially less. Mm -hmm. And you made that choice and, and you took it to your superiors and everybody agreed that this is what you want to do. Great. That's cool. I will charge you more money. But, like, I just want to make, make it clear that I am not out here trying to take advantage of people and uh, we can work together and make a, a solution that works best for both people. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had have you ever had times where you have retained some ownership or that you know, like not had a buyout happen and then been able to turn around and relicense the images for someone else? Mm-hmm. How often do you think that happens? What's or like? What's that scenario look like?
2: Not, not super often, uh, but it does happen. Like a couple of years ago, I was doing a story for UFC Magazine, which is now defunct. Um, but I was doing a story on an athlete that I'd worked with for a year or two. Uh, he was a Reebok-sponsored athlete. I had done some work for Reebok before with him and with a couple other Reebok athletes. Um, so I was going out to Vegas to do cover one of his his fights. And while he was out there, I got a call from Reebok. They saw that I was out in Vegas. And they were like, hey, can you send us some pictures from the fight? Uh, and so I... Pulled up my contract with UFC magazine. There, there was no embargo period. Uh, it just couldn't be licensed to a competitor within like fourteen days or something like that. So I just called up the editor and was like, "Hey, um, I got a call from Reebok. They need some pictures of these two athletes from the fight." Um, I don't consider them a competitor to the story we're doing for the magazine. They're just going to use like one or two pictures for social media and they're going to pay me three or four times more than you guys are. Are you cool with that? And he was like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. Like competitors, the only competitors we saw... Would, would have been like ESPN or Sports Illustrated, like another big sports magazine. And we just don't want them to run the same story that we're running because then why would people pick up our magazine if they can get right. the same story elsewhere? Right. So they're like, yeah, Reebok's not not a competition at all. Like More than happy, tell them you're good. And so then I took my yes from him, called the director of communications with the UFC because they have... Different leagues have different agreements uh, in terms of what people can do commercially. So I wanted to make sure that I was clear with the UFC as well. And they were like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Uh, we love that our athletes are now getting bigger sponsors, and we would love for those sponsors to be able to promote our athletes. So the UFC was cool with it. So I called Reebok back and was like, yeah, everybody's cool with it. Uh, I'll send you a couple pictures like right after the fight ends. Did that got paid by two people for shooting the same thing and it worked out great. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time, but like knowing that that flexibility is there is, is huge because when it does work, you you get paid twice for something you're already doing.
0: That's cool. I've, I've not been fortunate enough to have that happen I feel like part of that's probably because of the the industries that I work in a little bit, whereas you're doing a lot of editorial and, like, story-based kind of stuff like that for publications. The stuff I'm doing is more, like, uh, it's, like, commercial stuff. So, like, say, for example, I uh, shoot some stuff for a restaurant. And there's probably not going to be a whole lot of people that are looking to license an image of a chef cutting a steak up or something like that. And so like I typically will try to retain my ownership of a lot of that stuff and then go like, "Oh, maybe at some point I'll throw these up on a stock website or have a library of my own and then be able to put it up and have it available to license. Well, if but I've never, like, I've never actually seen a place for it to have a viable like resell like the way yours is.
2: Yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, like it's important to just know what you're able to do with the images on your own. If you don't own the copyrights to your stuff, you technically aren't allowed to display it on your own website. Um, so just knowing, like, these are the agreements I have with people and, and knowing that it gives you the flexibility to do whatever you want to with it yeah. if that situation arises. If I want to put together a book of, of my life's work whenever I'm 70 years old, There are certain things that I did early in my career that I wouldn't be able to include because I no longer own those images. I could start emailing those companies in 40 years and asking them, like, hey, I did this for you in 2015. I'm putting together a book of my life's work. Can I use it? And they could say no. They could say yes. Or they could say yes, but it's going to cost you this much and that sucks.
0: Yeah, that'd be a really interesting position to be in. Yeah. Of let me buy my own image right. that I shot.
2: But that's that's a, a real thing, and it's happened to photographers that I know. Like Some of the older uh, Sports Illustrated photographers have been coming out with books of their life's work, and they're having to go through and figure out which images they retained copyrights to and which ones were shot for publications or brands that they no longer own those images and then trying to track down people who currently work there because the people they worked with that hired them 40 years ago are no longer with the company and like most of the companies I I think have said yeah it's cool do whatever you want to but like it's still a process that you'd have to go through and so you know knowing like there's stuff I can and can't do. like there there's some stuff i'm i'll I'll shoot that I'm not supposed to post on social media because the company wants to keep everything internal. and <laughs> like a lot of it's stuff that I wouldn't post on social media anyways, but like they're paying extra for that exclusivity and to make sure they have complete control over. The look of their brand. And so they don't want me to do anything with it, Hmm. Uh, which is a weird thing. But you know, if if that's what they want to pay for it, then
0: sure. Power film. Yeah. Yeah. What a, I guess, kind of my last question I've got right now is is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would be uh, important to hit on, especially in regards to people that are uh, more inexperienced or future freelancers?
2: Uh, Build a good website. I, I was in Oklahoma last week or two weeks ago uh, speaking at a National Press Photographers Association conference, and I did some portfolio reviews. And, uh, you know, you, you really have to think of things, like if you're looking to get hired, you have to think of it from a perspective of Who's hiring you? And I was meeting with a lot of people that are wanting to be freelance photojournalists and their websites weren't great. They didn't have their location or contact info on it. Uh, Just like small things. If you want to get hired by people, tell people where you are. Give people uh, easy access to your phone number and an email address. Don't make them use a contact form. Uh, Guilty of that. <laughs> the The number one complaint I get from editors in regards uh, to to freelancers is freelancers make it too difficult to find and contact them. their Their number one thing is on every page of your website, it should tell me where you're based and give me, at least one opportunity to get in touch with you, whether that's having your phone number or an email address on every page of your website. Uh, Even if it's the bottom or the top, somewhere. But realistically, editors are gonna look at a website for like 15 or 30 seconds before they move on to the next one. And if they're having to spend 10 of those seconds going through different pages trying to find your contact info, like it's not a good sign. Um, so make sure that you're giving yourself the easiest opportunities to get hired and that's just by like letting people know where you are and and how they can get in touch with you. Um, and then making it very clear like what it is you want to do. There, there are so many people out there whose website is... 20 different galleries of different types of work. And none of it shows any sort of like clear personal direction. Have a, a focus on what you want to do and make that clear because people are going to be much more drawn to somebody that has a specific passion uh, than somebody who just has a whole lot of work on their website. And especially because... Having a whole lot of work on your website doesn't mean it's good. It just means there's a lot of stuff that people aren't interested in. (laughs) (laughs) So if, if you want to do sports photography, have sports photography on your website. Don't put up a lot of architecture and lifestyle and food and concert. Because if you want to do sports and you think people are going to hire you to do sports show them your sports work because the worst thing that could happen is a sports editor goes to your website. First page is architecture. Second page is food. And they're like, oh, well, he's an architecture and food person. They didn't even scroll down far enough to see your sports gallery. That's 12 pages down at the bottom. So like, it's scary. You, you think that having the widest variety of work possible makes you The most attractive hire, but like, I feel like, I feel like people are hiring more specialists than generalists. Like you don't want uh, somebody to work on your car because, you know, they know about cars. You want somebody to work on your car because they know about Jeeps and you want somebody who can fix your specific car. So... Like, figure out what it is you want to do and, and have kind of a purpose for it and then go specifically towards that. Don't try and be just a guy who takes pictures. Be a guy who takes great portraits or the guy who does incredible food, food stills. I don't know. It's, it's hard to be a generalist when there's so many people that are very good at very specific things. Uh, like if, if you want to be good at everything, you're sacrificing something, and there will be somebody who's better at it than you. So figure out what it is you want to do and really, really go for that. That's I mean, I guess that's my, my advice.
0: Cool, man. Well, thanks so much, dude. I really appreciate it. It's been a good conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, where can people find you and your work?
2: Uh, CooperNeil.com. C-O-O-P-E-R-N-E-I-L-L. And then Instagram, Twitter, all those, at CooperNeil. That's about it. Go I, in. I pretty much only use Instagram, and I don't even do it that much. Uh, I'm not a fan of social media, but it, it has to be done. Yeah. So. It's there.
0: Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you all listeners for tuning in to another episode of Freelance Friday. Thank you again, Brent and Cooper, for coming on and sharing your stories and your expertise with us. And thank you, Alex, for becoming a patron of the show. Hopefully I can make it over to Rotterdam someday and we can grab a coffee and take a look at each other's work in person. If you found the show valuable today, please Go leave a rating and review wherever you found this podcast to help let me and let other potential listeners know that you enjoyed this episode and maybe leave a little bit of a comment of what really stuck out to you. And if you really want to even go a step further than that, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Thanks so much. That's all I have for you this time and I'll be with you again next week. Freelance Freddy is a Vay Casey production. VKC is a freelance content creator based in the United States and available worldwide. VKC: Big production value, freelance agility, and scale.